Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, I'm Susie Price. Welcome to episode number three, the three biggest interview mistakes and how to avoid them. In this podcast, I bring to you more than 20 years of experience in employee selection and professional development in my roles as a professional facilitator, consultant, trainer, author, leader, and human resource professional. If you want to build and keep a wake up eager workforce, you're in the right place because that's what we cover here. That's what we talk about. Everything that has to do with how do we make sure that we've got our employees committed and engaged? And so I'm particularly excited about today's topic, hiring and interviewing, because it's so important to keeping people engaged and committed. you got to get the right people in the right roles. And there's actually a science and art to it. And I'm going to break that down for you. At least you give some of that to you today. The show notes for today's show can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash interview mistakes. And the interview mistakes is all together and it's lowercase. So today we're going to look at how to avoid the top three interview mistakes. I'm going to share with you some of the top interview questions that I want you to ask. And then I'm going to give you one thing that you can begin doing right away. So if you have an interview this afternoon or tomorrow, you can begin doing this one thing and it will make a huge difference in how effective your interview is. So let's get started. There's lots of challenges around interviewing. Uh, one of the pieces is people make up the process as they go. Are you guilty of that? I have been before when I was in corporate America and I was interviewing and hiring. We didn't always have a clear-cut process. So that can create a challenge. And oftentimes we have people around us or, or you may be someone who does this. I'll know it when I see it. So go by gut instinct and the, that's rolling the dice. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So... Um, other challenges that people have in the interview process is they don't know how to figure out. They often say, I don't know how to figure out who's exaggerating, who's lying, who's stretching the truth. How do I know? You know, they say they're good at it, but how do I know? Um, and sometimes people just struggle with what's the best thing to ask. And so we're going to look at that today. All of these challenges or lack of clarity around the interview process can lead to bad hires. And they say that faulty hiring is the silent killer of corporate profitability. The silent killer. The reason it's silent is we talk about all these other things that are costing the company money, but some oftentimes the, the cost of turnover isn't fully uh, hashed out or thought through, and it's very expensive. You can have numbers show us that anywhere from one and a half to eight times a person's salary is the cost when you lose someone and they turn, you know, a turnover. And so it, the eight times number, if you get, go to the book, one of the books I like is Top Grading. It's a reference book that I read. Dr. Bradley Smart has a, um, a great process there, but Top Grading, he, he talks about the cost of when he says eight times, and this would be an executive or a salesperson, someone who touches a lot of people, you lose productivity before they terminate because usually something's going on, so they're not very productive. Um, once the job is vacant, you lose productivity, so that costs the company money. You lose the productivity of the manager and the team because they're covering someone's spot. Uh, you lose productivity as the new person is ramping up. So you've got loss of productivity costs, plus you have customer issues where 
customers aren't getting what they need because now you have a vacancy. And then in addition, the typical things you think of and the cost of turnovers, you know, ads, the time that you have to spend doing interviews, background checks, assessments. So if you take the number one and a half, I'll use the low number, one and a half someone's salary. Here's a quick little calculator. Think about the average salary on your team. Multiply it times one and a half and then multiply it times the number of people who left in the last year, and it will give you the annual cost of turnover on your team. So, for example, take a 25-person team. They've had less than 10% turnover, so two people left last year. The average salary for this team was 50000 So we say average salary times one and a half times the turnover when you have a 25-person team and two people have left or were let go for low performance, You've got a cost of turnover, 150000 That's just on one 25-person team. No wonder this issue of turnover and faulty hiring, especially when it's turnover because of faulty hiring, is considered the silent killer of cor- corporate productivity. So, you know, they say someone said hiring professionals, this is expensive. Um, but, you know, if you hire amateurs, it's really expensive. So, um Way back in 2004, when I started my consulting practice, I had always had a passion for this interviewing and hiring process and always wanted to do it better. And so I became certified in a patented assessment process. It's very powerful. I use it in organizations every week. Um, and so it makes a big difference. It helps people think through who they're hiring and it involves assessments and a little bit of facilitation. Um, but what I found is not everybody's ready to make the commitment to an assessment. And because this is such an important issue, um, having the right fit in the right jobs, I decided to break down that process. It's a process I use with trimetrics assessment. And I decided to say, okay, I'm going to make sure that everybody can have access to the process with or without an assessment. So what I did is I decided to pull the covers back on the process and I wrote a book. The book's called How to Hire Superior Performance, Performer, excuse me, How to Hire Superior Performers. Created a workshop. I have a talk. I even created a little online self-paced audio class for this. So what I'm sharing with you today is not about how to use my assessments or what it is is exactly the breakdown of how do you use the process so that you never even have to use an assessment. Um, so it will give you a lot of the benefits of looking deeper, figuring out fit, help you get the right people so that turnover as a result of faulty hiring is not a silent killer in your organization. So in my book and in the workshops, I cover t- the top 13 mistakes and then I provide solutions that walk people through an eight step hiring process. But today what we're going to do is just look at the top three and I'm going to give you solutions for each one. So the first mistake is we have assumptions and bias. So our own assumptions and our own bias get in the way. And the sneaky thing about this mistake is this stuff is unconscious. We don't often even know we have a bias for something or away from something. So if you graduated in a particular degree program, anytime you see somebody who graduated with the same degree program, maybe even from the same school, there's a little bit of a bias there. You think you know what they learned because you were there too. And so we can make some snap decisions based on that bias if we're not aware of it. 
Another bias that you often see is if somebody communicates the way you do, they have the same style that you have, they seem to have the same values that you have, well, then you're, you automatically have an affinity towards them and you have some, you make some assumptions. Well, they must be very good. They're like me. So uh, we can do that around experience. We can do it around styles. Um, you know, I like him because he's like me or she went to the school where I did. I bet she's great. And some of that, a lot of that is unconscious and it's very harmful when we're interviewing and it could cause you to make decisions around candidates with some false insight. You're making some assumptions and we know what happens with assumptions. And when we assume, you probably heard out of how they break that word down. <laughs> I won't use that language on this clean podcast, but it's a good example of a president, the 29th president, the Warren, Warren Harding. Have you ever heard of Warren Harding? Uh, they call it the Warren Harding era. It was in 1921 and several um, research articles and biographies say that he was the worst president. He was elected, according to what we hear today, because he looked so, quote unquote, presidential. Uh, in real life, he drank, he chased women, he played poker. He didn't implement many, many, much meaningful policy, wasn't very effective, and he died in 1923 in amidst a lot of controversy. Uh, the business guru, Michael Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell, excuse me, Malcolm Gladwell, in the book The Tipping Point and Blink, talks about uh, thinking without thinking, and he calls it unconscious influence. So that's the assumption and bias part, right? An unconscious influence is our personal and unconscious bias towards stereotype. It can cause us to make a decision in the first two seconds. So I like you. This must be good, right? If we take a thin slice of information and, and a lot of times working towards our instincts works. But when you're hiring and interviewing, it is the dark side of this uh, making snap decisions or instinctual decisions. And here's a quote from, from Malcolm Gladwell about the Warren Harding era. They didn't dig below the surface. The way he looked carried so many powerful connotations that it stopped the normal thinking, normal process of thinking dead in its tracks. So not digging below the surface. That's what we need to do. We need to dig below the surface. And we need to make sure that our assumptions and bias are not getting in the way. So what's the solution? One, you're now aware of it, so you can start paying attention to it. That's the first step of most any progress is just being aware of that this is a problem. And then I have an acronym that I'm going to give you today. It's FIT. So the first solution begins with the letter F, and it's fixate on what the job needs. Fixate on what the job needs. And the word fixate, it means to make fixed, to stationary, unchanging, to focus your gaze. So when I say fixate, I want you to get really clear about what's important to success in the job. I'm going to show you how to do that. I'll give you a few tips today. Um, but so the first way to avoid this mistake of assumption and bias, or the main way, is to fixate on what the job needs. And so there are two tools. I mentioned that I have an eight-step hiring process. And I'll put a link to that on my show notes. There are two tools in that process that you need to do before you hire. They don't take a long time. It can take less than 30 minutes once you've done it a couple of times. It might take an hour. 
Uh, but it is so powerful because it gets you before you're ever meeting a person to get very clear about what that perfect person is going to look like. And it's not just background and experience. Okay, so the two, the first tool that I'm going to share with you is called a performance dashboard. And a performance dashboard is basically what are the top priorities for success in the job? This isn't a job description. Job description is three pages and it outlines all the duties. This is out of all those duties, what are the top three to five things that are the most important? And so it's a bit like the reason I call it a dashboard. It's a bit like your dashboard in your car. You've got a driver's manual that you go look at when you need to know details about the car. But while you're driving every day, what do you look at? There's key dials. Same thing. While the person's on the job, there's got to be key priorities that they must monitor or they're going to go off the side of the road. So I'm going to show you how to create a dashboard. I've got a video that walks through it uh, and it takes you through it step by step. And it's so simple that once you do it, you'll wonder why you haven't always done it. But what it does is if you do it, do the process around creating a dashboard with the people who are have a vested interest in the success of the job, who are going to be interviewing with you, you all get very clear. And it's interesting because there's another assumption that we all make is that we all have the same vision of what success is in the job. So it's a really crucial conversation. And oftentimes, sometimes people are hesitant to participate when I'm facilitating the process you know, like, okay, do we have to do this? And then once they get in there and they start talking, it's such rich conversation and the result is so awesome because now you have very strong clarity about what's most important for success in the job. You have those priorities listed that people say, wow, that's the best session we've ever had. Everybody's clear. So if everybody's clear on the dashboard and the priorities, then there's other steps you can do that can help you figure you use that dashboard to help you figure out you know, what the hard and soft skills are needed in the job. And what it does is the dashboard becomes uh, helps helps your interviewers and yourself stay objective. So you don't get caught up in your assumptions and bias. It helps you fixate on what the job needs. And the first step in being really good at this is to fixate on what the job needs is to create a performance dashboard. So look for the, the link for the performance dashboard video and you can always call me you can, uh, or send me a note, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E, and I can tell you more about the process. Uh, again, I want to get this in many hands because this is the key piece. This is the starting point um, and, and do the dashboard. That's a first step. Okay, because we're going to use the dashboard as we move forward. It's going to help you pick the top behaviors, motivators, personal skills, uh, all the soft skill things that are important for success in the job, which will help you pick interview questions. But that's next. So the first mistake, assumption and bias, and the solution is to fixate on what the job needs. So I'm just going to cover one tool during this section, and we'll go on to some more tools as we move forward. So as we go to look at... The second biggest mistake interviewers make, I want you to think back for a minute. Think about someone you hired or someone you worked with who didn't work out. Think about what frustrated you about this person and what in general went wrong. I can think of someone that I worked with, we'll call her Cammie, um, just wasn't good at managing her time knew how to do what she needed to do, but never followed up. And it was hard having her as an employee 
and as a team member. Another person I can think of uh, was someone we'll call him Jim, who was difficult to get along with. So he was stubborn and arbitrary and argumentative. So we had all those challenges with that person. Did you come up with some ideas or things or reasons why somebody wasn't working out? Most of the time when somebody's not working out, it's related to intangible things like personal skills. Uh, I heard the Georgia Labor Commissioner Mark Butler speak last year. He said, according to their research, 69% of the people who are fired uh, are fired based because, based upon the lack of personal skills. Some of those intangible things like like being able to manage their time, like how they interact with others, like showing up on time. It's all of those soft skill things that you want to find out in the interview. So mistake number two is keeping your main focus on background and experience. So if you're only focusing on, in the interview on background and experience, you're not focusing on all those things that are the main reason why people are let go and why there's turnover. So the, the mistake is keeping your main focus on background and experience. And the solution is to remember and to focus on intangibles, that intangibles matter. So that's the second letter in our acronym for FIT. The first was fixate on what the job needs. And the second solution is intangibles matter. There was a study, I think I read it in a SHRM research study. They, they took 100,000 people, followed them when they were hired uh, up to 18 months a large group of them were fired. And I don't have here the percentage of how many people were fired or let go. But within 18 months, a large percentage were fired or let go. So they went back to those people and the managers of those people and tried to figure out why they were fired and why they were let go. And the statements that they got from managers was that they were these people were unable to manage their emotions. They couldn't accept feedback. They weren't motivated. They weren't a fit for the job or the culture all intangible things that we need to be looking for in the interview. And if you notice, out of that study, um, 90% of the time they were let go because of problems that were intangible skills or personal skills and not because they didn't have the right background and experience. But what do most of us do? We look at the resume, we talk, ask them about their background, and yes, that is a piece of the puzzle, but that is a starting point. It's not enough to help us not make a bad hiring decision. So our second solution is we're going to remember that intangibles matter. And I'm going to give you some insight and information about uh, how to do that. So the tools that are going to help you focus on the intangibles is you're going to take your dashboard that you created previously and you're going to use it to create what I call a superior performance hiring worksheet. It's basically a worksheet that shows the background because you do want to look at that background experience and then it shows the top style, the top motivators, and the top personal skills important for success on the job. And you pick the style, motivators, and personal skills based on the dashboard. So you're thinking about, okay, the job we decided that the priorities for the job are these three to five things. And then in my book and in my workshops and in the assessment process that I use, there are, there's a list of behavioral style uh, identification uh, definitions. There's a list of motivators. There's a list of personal skills. And you go pick 
those. They are essentially the competencies or personal skills that are going to help you most get the top priorities in the job done. Does that make sense? I'll show you an example uh, on the links, but you'll see a superior performance hiring sheet worksheet that you can use so you can see it. And then I'll show you an example of something that we use to so you can see what that looks like. But it's basically a list of competencies for the job based on the dashboard. And then what you do, the next tool after you, you've got the dashboard, you've got the superior performance hiring worksheet, is you pick competency-based behavioral questions to match the list of items that you put in your superior performance hiring worksheet. So then what you've got is you've got very specific uh, questions that match what's important for success in the job. You're fixating on what the job needs and you're paying attention to the intangibles because intangibles matter. So now you have a very focused interview session. So it's very, very powerful, and it is not very complicated once you actually see the worksheets and the examples that I'll share with you in the show notes, which, again, is at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash interview mistakes. So intangibles matter. We've got to get away from this idea that anyone can be trained to do any job. We've got to get away from this idea that with enough training and if we try hard enough, anybody can excel because people bring who they are to the job. And who they are is not only their background and experience, but it's their communication style. It's the disc that we talked about in episode number one. It's the uh, motivators that we talked about in episode number two. It's personal skills, which are competencies that I know I'm sure we'll talk about in future episodes. They bring their individual strengths. So they bring all of this to the job. And so you want to focus on the whole person and tools like the dashboard, the superior performance hiring worksheet, and then uh, behavioral based interview questions are going to help you get there. And, and truly it, it is, it, if you were to plan before an interview, if you spent 45 minutes doing some of these exercises, that's not a long time to have you and your whole interview team really prepared focused on the job so you hire the right person as opposed to the wrong person gets in the job. And we've all experienced it. We've probably all had it. Wrong person's in the job. They're not performing. And now you're spending hours and hours and weeks trying to manage them to do the job. Okay, so the second mistake is the uh, focusing too much on background and experience. And the answer is that intangibles matter. I'm going to do a quick reference to the competency behavioral based interview questions and describe those for you. Um, basically, it's interview questions that uh, focus on a competency that's required for success. So you want a, a focused interview question and then you ask pe the person to share detailed examples or specific examples of how in the past they did that thing. So basically, past behaviors are considered to be one of the best predictors of future performance. And I love this uh, statement. Lip service lies past behaviors don't. So I can say I do a lot of things, but if I can't give you an example of a time when I actually did that thing, then you can wonder whether I actually know how to do that competency that you figured out is important for success in the job. Again, it's lip service, lip, bleh, let's see if I can say it, lip service lies, like telling a story, past behaviors don't. Okay, so we're going to give you some examples of some uh, behavioral competency, behavioral based interview questions, but it basically starts with something like, give me an example of a time in your life when, and so you, and you press people to give you examples, because when you're good at something, 
you are able to dredge up, come up with, no matter how nervous you are, something that you did that matches that behavior or that competency. When you're not good at something, your mind starts out as a blank and stays blank. Now, I want to tell you about two personal skills that are very important to superior performance, and I'm going to give you some interview questions to use, uh, and they'll be in the handout that you can download. And some of the research that my vendor has completed on superior performers, one competency or personal skill that was found in superior performers was the competency of personal accountability. So personal accountability is someone who is responsible for their actions, basically. They, they embrace decisions. They don't shift focus. They don't blame others. When a problem comes, they're not spending time trying to cover up the problem. They are saying, okay, we've got a problem. Here's what it is. I did it. He did it. Whatever. Here's a solution. So it makes sense that that would be an, a key personal skill. So an employee who has strong personal accountability never blames others for a problem. So they're always solution focused. And so I have two questions for you that I want you to use, and you'll see it in the handout. But it, these are two behavioral competency behavioral based interview questions. And here's the first one. Tell me about a time when it was necessary to admit to others that you had made a mistake, how did you handle it? I'll say it again. Tell me about a time when it was necessary to admit to others that you had made a mistake. How did you handle it? And what your job to, is when you ask that question is to be quiet and listen and press them for specifics. There's not a, an, a, an exact right answer. It's more about what you're listening for is, are they demonstrating the competency of personal accountability? And are they showing that they don't blame others for their mistakes? Are they giving me a good, strong, rich example? The second one is, what is the worst business decision you've ever made? What made it the worst? What would knowing what you do now have helped you to avoid making that decision? So great question. And you want to have them share rich and deep. If they don't share rich and deep, they're glossing over their ability and there's some question there whether they have strong personal accountability. And that is one of the superior performance skills. And guess what the other superior performer skill is that came up in the research that my vendor TTI did? Time management or self-management. Makes sense, doesn't it? And how often have you been looking for time management, self-management in interviews? So it's basically this: it, the person who can prioritize their time and complete tasks and deliver desired outcomes through the time frame that you've set for them or they've set for themselves. They're able to, people who are strong in this area are able to independently pursue, pursue business objectives in an organized and efficient manner, even without supervision. Isn't that what you want? Somebody who's able to direct themselves. They have good self-management, good time management. They know how to minimize disruptions and time wasters. I mean, when I think about a person that I worked with in the past who didn't work out and was very frustrating to work with, this was their greatest weakness, and it drove our whole team crazy. So here are two questions for time management or self-management that I want you to add to your interview list. And again, they are on the handout that you can get via the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash interview mistakes, or interview mistakes, no dot com there. Um, so here's the time management question. Give me a specific example of a project that you were responsible for organizing from beginning to end. How did you go about it? How did you deal with changes that arose? How did you ensure that the project stayed on track? What was the outcome? 
And what did you learn from this experience? Of course, you're going to ask that a question in a couple different parts there, but powerful question. You basically want to see what project that they worked on, how did they handle it, um, what was the outcome, how did you stay on track. The more specific they are, the more clear they are, that means they have clarity in that area, and that means they have strength in that area. And so you're getting to the intangibles that are important for success on the job. And then the second one is, do you consider yourself a good time manager? Share with me the planning system you use and show me how you use it. So if they don't have a good planning system, they're not going to be able to show you. And here's another tool that can help you avoid mistake number two, which is the focusing just on background and experience. And I'll start it by telling you a story. There was this roofing company and they had a ton of turnover and it was with their office manager. It was like a revolving door. Uh, basically, the office manager did what you would expect an office manager would do. They ran the office. Um, but the difference with this roofing company is hundreds of roofers would come in every day, in and out, in and out, picking up their assignments and such. And if you think about roofers, you might know that they're not always gentle or easy. So there was they were having trouble with the office managers that were that they were hiring. So, I mean, they, they found people who had good experience, who were capable of doing the job, but most everybody left before two weeks were out. So the business was struggling because the owner wasn't there on a regular basis and needed somebody strong in that role. So what we decided to do was create a classified ad, because that was how they were looking for this person. Uh, it was years ago when you did more of the newspaper stuff, but we used the ad to focus on intangibles. We talked about experience, but we also talked about the intangibles. And the way we were able to create this is we had done a dashboard. So we figured out what the top priorities were in the job, which didn't take long to do. We, we completed a superior performance hiring worksheet, figuring out what's the behaviors, what's the motivators, what's the personal skills that are going to help this person be successful, be able to do those priorities on the job. And here is the description that we came up with. Roofing company, seeking office manager with five plus years of experience. So there's the experience piece. Now we're going to talk about the dashboard. Daily expectations include scheduling and tracking multiple crews, outstanding phone customer support, and keeping office paperwork and invoicing organized. Okay, now we're going to go into some of the intangibles about uh, what this person uh, motivators must be and what their style has it must be like must thrive on creating order, structure, and on enforcing the rules. Looking for someone who is process-focused, assertive, and who has a bulldog personality. Yep, we actually did that. And here's the funny thing. A husband saw the ad and said, hey, that's my wife. She applied, she got the job, and last I heard, she was still there. So good story because it's pointing out about not focusing just on background and experience and figuring out what's the personality, what's the motivators, what's the competencies, what are the personal skills needed for success in the job. So we asked a lot more than just background and experience. And we talked about the intangible. So the person reads the ad and says, oh, I see myself. You know, candidates, according to different online employment sites, spend 76 seconds reading an ad. I'm surprised it's even that long. And so they're reading it pretty quickly, trying to figure out whether they're a fit. 
And for you, what you don't want, you don't necessarily want a ton of applicants, but you want people who read any kind of ad or any posting that you have to say, hey, that's me. And I probably almost nine times out of 10, when I see any kind of posting, it's all about the background and experience. Yes, it has to be a piece of it, but where's all the intangible stuff in there? So it's important to think about using that as a tool once you have your dashboard, your superior performance hiring worksheet, you have things identified that give you give you like this is a picture of what this person is going to look like and you're clear about that. You can use that in your um, advertising for the position to find candidates. So we've looked at two mistakes so far. We've looked at assumption and bias and the solution for that is to fixate on what the job needs. We've looked at the second mistake, which is uh, keeping your focus on background and experience and the solution to that is to remember that intangibles matter. And we've talked about different tools, the dashboard, the superior performance hiring worksheet. We've talked about behavioral interview questions. We've talked about when you're placing an ad, how to place it so that you're, you're focusing on the template that you created in the first two tools, the dashboard and the superior performance hiring worksheet. And I'm, gonna, I'm giving you some interview questions that you can use um, when you download the, the um, handout. So let's look at the next mistake. It's the third one as we come around the corner in this podcast today. I want you to think about in a typical interview you have with a candidate, how much time should an interviewer talk and how much time should the candidate talk? So if you've got 100% of time, do you talk 75% of the time, 50%, 25%? How much does the candidate talk? Think about what you think usually happens in an interview and think about what you might do. Well, the right answer is the candidate should talk 70 to 80% of the time. The interviewer should talk 20 to 25% of the time. Think about interviews that you've had. Have, have you kept that ratio? And this is the one thing that you can begin doing right away. When I talked at the beginning, there was one thing you can begin doing right away, and that is avoiding the mistake of talking too much. And so why do we talk too much during the interview? Well, we're excited. We're a good ambassador for the company. We're experts. I mean, there's lots of reasons. We're a really good role model. And it's really natural when you're all of those things that when a guest comes in, you want to make them feel welcome. And we do even more talking if the candidate looks good. Think of the Warren Harding era. He looks so good. It's like, oh, goody, I might have found a keeper. But the bottom line is, if you want to hire great, you've got to find somebody who's a fit for the job. And so you've got to allow them to talk. If you get so excited and you don't know what you're going to say and you hadn't planned out your interview, then it's the chances are you're going to talk too much and you're going to miss some important things um, that could tell you whether this person is a great fit or not. So what you want to do is talk less, listen more. So that's the third in the FIT Fixate on what the job needs and tangibles matter. And the third for this third mistake is talk less, listen more. So if you have a process, that's going to help. If you've done a dashboard and a superior performance hiring worksheet and you've got some interview questions set up, that'll help. You've got to let your guests talk. You've got to get them to reveal more about themselves. It sounds really simple, but it's one of the biggest mistakes that almost every interviewer makes, and I've even got a sign that has a little stop sign on it. It says, talk less, listen more, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes 
so that you can go get that printed out, stick it in your interview folder, just to remind you, you need to talk 25%. They need to talk 75%. And so you've got to ask questions and press for specifics. And so what I want you to do is to get comfortable with silence. That's a piece of this, having everything prepared and being ready and knowing what you're going to cover is a big piece of it. And the other piece is just allowing for silence. Did you notice I was just silent then? What's the problem with silence in interviews? Well, we feel uncomfortable. We talk to fill the void. Um, we don't want them to be uncomfortable. But you've got to learn to leverage the power of silence. So if you hold your tongue and don't fill in the blank space every minute, it allows the candidate to fill in the blank spaces. And you're going to get more candid, more unrehearsed answers. So another way to get, you're going to talk less, listen more, and you're going to keep that percentage of the 75% talking by the candidate and 25% by you by practicing your pleasant, what I call the pleasant but response neutral face. Pleasant but response neutral. And this is, you want the candidates to feel welcome, and you, and you do. You're, you're, not, you're not lecturing them. You don't want them to feel uncomfortable. You want them to feel welcome, but you also want to make sure that they're not molding their answers around your expressions and what you, they, and they, for, around your expressions and what they think you want to hear. So you don't want to cheer them and you don't want to jeer them. It's somewhere in between. And depending on your communication style, if you, the very reserved style, the uh, high C, which is like a Dr. Spock, you might come across more stern. If you're the high D, you might also come across stern and be somewhat clipped in your responses. And the high I, we, we tend to talk a lot. So we all have kind of our own blind spot, potential blind spot, based on our communication style. So let's just practice a pleasant but response neutral face. And this is something safe to do while you're driving if you're listening to this in your car. So I want you to do face number one. And this is your I'm happy and I love you and this is great face. So you should be smiling and grinning and nodding. I'm happy. I love you. And this is great. Okay. So that's face one. That's not our pleasant but response neutral face. So now we're going to do face two. I want you to do your I'm mad and tough and I'm going to intimidate you face. So now what you're going to be doing is you probably are snarling and your eyebrows are furrowed and you're frowning. That's also not a pleasant but response neutral face. Now for face number three, I want you to take a deep breath. So take a deep breath right now. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Do it again. And I want you to relax. I want you to think of something pleasant and nice, like the smell of morning coffee or a pretty flower or water flowing in a fountain. Now, Make your pleasant but response neutral face. You're not frowning. You're not smiling. You're not cold. You're not all warm. You're pleasant. Face number three is your response neutral face. And that's where you want to keep your demeanor and how you want to express yourself during the interview. You're glad they're there. You're there to listen. They're there to talk. Okay, so 
Uh, know what your disc style tendencies might be for the extroverts. It's going to be to be expressive. And for the introverts, it might to be very reserved. So find somewhere in the middle and put on that face. Like silence and talking less, the neutral face helps you avoid the mistake of talking too much. So the bottom line for this solution is to talk less, listen more. So as we kind of come to a close on all of this, are the top three mistakes that interviewers make. I'm going to share the, say that I want you to focus on fit. Fixate on what the job needs. Remember that intangibles matter. Talk less and listen more. I have tools and resources and links to all the tools and resources to help you do this. Just remember how important it is. And once you use some of the tools that I've expressed and shared here, it will be so easy for you to do them again and again and again, and you're going to see the impact. Now, in my book, if it interests you how to hire superior performers, I have, because people are busy and they can't always spend time or don't feel like they have the time to spend time training or getting up to speed on different processes for interviewing and hiring, I have an option where you can get a tip a day for 70 days. So you get a tip on Monday through Friday, and each tip is one piece of the hiring and interview process. So it takes you all the way through the book, but you get it in little chunks. Um, and the goal is the 1% a day. You know, if you improve 1% a day in 70 days, you're twice improved. And so the book was written in that way so that you can, you know, chip away at this. And then in 70 days, you're going to have a stronger interview process. I've got all kinds of um, things to help you get your interview team in place and all kinds of suggestions there. So if that is something, if not making interview mistakes is important to you and you'd like to improve your hiring and interview process, that might be a resource you'd want to consider. You can always call me if you have questions about this process or anything that I've shared here today. You can find my number and my contact information at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E. So I appreciate you tuning in to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. I'm excited that we were able to review the three biggest mistakes uh, tomorrow or this afternoon. If you're interviewing, do the first thing, which is talk less, uh, listen more. Do that. Remember, 75 to 25% uh, is the ratio, and that will make a big difference. And then start incorporating some of the other pieces of the puzzle, too. So in our next podcast, I'm excited. I'm going to interview someone who did some research about Generation Y or Millennial uh, employee and give you some tips of what they say, what she found out about what millennials want and how to keep them engaged on the job. So I'm not an expert in that field at all. I'm excited to hear what she has to share and her share her research with you. That'll be episode number four. And until then, keep waking up eager. Um, thanks for being here. All the best. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 